Welcome to the Campion College podcast, the official home for audio recordings of college events, guest talks, public lectures, interviews, conferences, and more. Join us now for the 2023 Graduation Ceremony Occasional Address, delivered by Professor Tracy Rowland, with an introduction from College President, Dr. Paul Morrissey. Mr. Chairman, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Professor Tracy Rowland as our guest speaker today. Professor Rowland holds the St John Paul II Chair of Theology at the University of Notre Dame, Australia. She also holds degrees in Law and Government from the University of Queensland, in Philosophy from the University of Melbourne, as well as a Doctorate in Divinity from Cambridge University and a Doctorate in Sacred Theology from the Pontifical Lateran University. She is a member of the Pontifical Academy of the Social Sciences and from 2014 to 2019 was a member of the International Theological Commission. She has written eight books and published over 150 <coughs> articles. The books include Culture and the Thomas Tradition, Ratzinger's Faith, The Theology of Benedict XVI and Catholic Theology, which is a superb introduction to the various methods and ways of doing theology. She's also a member of the editorial board of Communio, International Catholic Review. And in 2009, she was awarded the Archbishop Michael J. Miller Award for the promotion of faith and culture by the University of St. Thomas in Houston. In 2010, she was awarded the Officer's Cross of the Order of Merit of the Republic of Poland. In 2020, she was awarded the Ratzinger Prize for Theology. And an unofficial prize from the late and great and good dear friend of Campion College, Cardinal Powell. She was described by the late Cardinal as our best and most important theologian. Please join me in welcoming our 2023 occasional speaker, Professor Tracy Rollins. My Lord Bishop Ma, Mr Chairman, Dr Morrissey, members of the faculty of Campion College, members of the Board of Trustees, graduates, parents and other family members of the graduates. Today is the 13th of December, which means it is, as we have already heard, the Feast of St Lucy. Lucy was a martyr who died during the Diocletian persecution. She is one of eight women commemorated in the first Eucharistic prayer. In Europe, her feast day has become a festival of light, partly because it once coincided with the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere, and partly because her name comes from the Latin root meaning light. In Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, Lucy appears in Canto II of the Inferno as the messenger sent to Beatrice from the Virgin Mary to rouse Beatrice to send Virgil to Dante's aid. 
Lucy is here representing illuminative grace. In the Purgatorio, Lucy further carries a sleeping Dante to the entrance to purgatory. Since Lucy represents light, her appearance in the Purgatorio mirrors her appearance in the Inferno. On both occasions, she carries Dante out of darkness, including the figurative darkness, in order for him to be led to salvation. In a Christmas homily delivered in 1959, a young father, Joseph Ratzinger, also spoke about the theme of light and the winter solstice. And he explained how for pagan people who worshipped the sun as their god, the winter solstice was always a day of hope because it heralded the return of the sun. He then described the first Christmas as the winter solstice of world history and the birthday of Christ, who is the undefeated light who will never die. The birth of Christ began the process that would undo Lucifer's damage in the Garden of Eden. Lucifer also carried a name associated with light. He was by tradition the most light-bearing of all the angels, but he suffered from the defect of pride. After what the French call the original catastrophe, which sounds like a better name for what happened in the Garden of Eden than our English expression, the fall. Human nature was wounded and our intellects and wills, our memories and imaginations became dimmed. The birth of Christ, however, brought with it the revelation of the Blessed Trinity, as we hear in the second chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. Christ was the light to enlighten the Gentiles and to give glory to the people of Israel. This revelation of the Blessed Trinity is the foundation of the Catholic intellectual tradition. And the Catholic intellectual tradition was in turn the foundation of the institution that we now call the university. There would be no universities had it not been for holy bishops and holy Catholic monarchs who founded the first universities in medieval Europe. The following universities were all foundations of Catholic monarchs or bishops. Oxford, Cambridge, Bologna, the Sorbonne, Glasgow, St Andrews, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Salamanca, Vienna, Munich and Heidelberg, to name just a few of the greatest universities in the world. The university, like the hospital, was a creation of Catholic Europe. The church built the first universities because she cares about the formation of the human person and especially about truth. And truth is embodied in what we call the deposit of the faith. It is the cornerstone of the Catholic intellectual tradition and it is precisely a knowledge of this tradition that leads people from ignorance to knowledge of the light that does not die. The great University of Glasgow has chiseled on its archway, archways the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And Keyes College at Cambridge University has three famous gates. 
the gate of humility, the gate of virtue, and the gate of honour. When students first enrol at Keyes, they must pass through the gate of humility. During the course of their studies, the students are said to grow in knowledge of truth and virtue until finally, on the day of their graduation, they process through the gate of honour. As graduates of Campion College, you too will have been through a process leading you into an ever deeper appreciation of the light of truth. And today we honour you and your parents and grandparents and all those who have been your guides, your Beatrice and your Virgil along the way. Since you have received a broad liberal education, not a narrow technical education, you will also understand that truth is only one transcendental property of being. The others are goodness and beauty, and these too are affirmed by the Catholic intellectual tradition. For a culture, indeed an institution, to have a Catholic ethos, all three transcendentals need to be in operation. To have the truth without goodness and charity is to have a very lopsided and unattractive personality. To have beauty without truth and goodness is to be a mere aesthete. And to have goodness without the truth is to be gormless and vulnerable to social manipulation. Part of the process leading to today's moment of honour has been your immersion in a culture of an institution that has fostered your participation in all three transcendental properties. <coughs> The late Benedict Groeschel, an American Franciscan priest whose name would be known to many of you, had a theory that Dominicans were especially attracted to truth, <coughs> that Franciscans are especially attracted to goodness, and that Benedictines are especially attracted to beauty. But he also thought that to be saintly, one needed to appreciate and participate in all three transcendental properties. When we speak of beauty, we don't only mean the beauty of a piece of art or music. There can also be such things as the beauty of nature, the beauty of family life, and the beauty of friendships. Last week, I was in Poland at a time when Poland received its largest snowfall in the last 10 years. The whole countryside was covered in a very thick blanket of snow that gave the landscape an almost mystical quality as the rays of sunshine played on the snow. As I watched from my train window, I was fortunate to see what the Poles call a kulig, K-U-L-I-G, a wooden sleigh filled with children being pulled through the snow by a horse. There was no adult anywhere in sight. The children, who may have been siblings or friends or cousins or some combination of all three, were laughing and shouting at the horse, who seemed to be the only adult in the picture. <laughs> the scene summoned up thoughts of the beauty of creation, of the snow and the sunshine, the responsible and intelligent horse, and the children who were basking in the joy of childhood innocence tinged with mischief. 
the kind of education you have received here at Campion probably didn't include sleigh rides in the snow. But there would have been other opportunities to enjoy friendships and to, to learn from one another. There is a passage in St. Augustine's Confessions that I think could well describe undergraduate life here at Campion. St. Augustine spoke of conversations and jokes together, the mutual rendering of good services, the reading of sweetly phrased books, the sharing of nonsense and mutual attentions, occasional disagreements without strong feeling, such as a man might have with himself, and very rarely actual dissension as a seasoning of our many points of agreement. Teaching each other and learning from each other, impatient longing for those who are away, and joyous reception upon their return. These and similar indications proceeding from the heart of lovers and friends, through the mouth, the tongue, the eyes, and a thousand integrating movements, fusing our minds together as if by kindlewood and making one out of many. Such a fusion or sense of unity is possible in an institution where truth, beauty, and goodness are held in high regard and mutually understood by the faculty, the students, and the administrative staff. As a consequence, the end result of your years of learning together, the object of your liberal education, is the production of what St. John Henry Newman called the Catholic gentleman and his counterpart, the Catholic lady. By these concepts, Newman meant something like an integrated personality in which the various faculties of the soul have all been nurtured, not only the intellect, but the will, the imagination, the memory, and the sense of humor. As Jean Deneloup expressed the idea, the real measure of history is not to be sought in the level of technical attainment, but in the more or less effective production of personalities, which represent the highest things we can know in the mundane realm. In his classic work on the idea of a university, Newman wrote, just as a commander wishes to have tall and well-formed and vigorous soldiers, not from any abstract devotion to the military standard of height or age, but for the purposes of war, and no one thinks it anything but natural and praiseworthy in him to be contemplating not abstract qualities, but his own living and breathing men. So in like manner, when the church founds a university, or he may well have said, when a bunch of Catholic lay people found a liberal arts college, she is not cherishing talent or genius or knowledge for its own sake but for the sake of her children, with a view to their spiritual welfare and to their religious influence and usefulness, with the object of training them to fill their respective posts in life and of making them more intelligent, more capable members of society. In, in 2019, Newman was declared a saint and in the years ahead, he may well be given the title of church doctor.
for the work on the development of doctrine and his recognition that contemporary atheism is not merely a rejection of the incarnation, but it is actually an alternative humanism. Newman was also alert to, alert to what he called the religion of the age, by which he meant the tendency for Christians to amplify the fashionable dimensions of their faith, while omitting those unfashionable dimensions that may hamper their social acceptability and their upward social mobility. As the political cultures of Western countries move more and more in the direction of cultural <coughs> Marxism, rejecting concepts like moral absolutes and objective truth, and rejecting the notion of a human ecology or natural law, the present religion of the age draws in the direction of an intense attrition, a dumbing down, a militant flattening of the Christian faith. The French sociologist Julie Pegis, in an essay on the politicization of religious commitments, made a study of the attitudes of those who were the leaders of the Marxist student protests in the year 1968. She found that many had in fact been brought up in families that were at least nominally Catholic. The property that led them in the direction of Marxism and their equation of religion with a moral was was their equation of religion with a moral code instead of understanding that Christianity is about participation in the life of the Blessed Trinity, for which the moral code is the means, but not the end. In the late 1960s, a sequence of thought became, first, religion is the equivalent of a moral code. Today, the moral battle is for the liberation of minority peoples uh, from colonial or from some form of sexual oppression. The liberation of minority peoples from oppression is promoted by Marxist movements. Therefore, Marxism is the most rational form of modern moral and thus, in a sense, religious conviction. This was the reasoning process of the student leaders of the Cultural Revolution of 1968. Of course, this way of thinking occludes the most central tenets of Christianity. That God became incarnate in the womb of a virgin. That he was crucified and rose from the dead. That his sacrifice on the cross was humanity's redemption. That the Holy Spirit was sent to be humanity's adv advocate. And that the human person was created to participate in the life and love of the Holy Trinity mediated through the church and her whole sacramental economy. Concepts like sanctification and holiness and sacramentality have no place in the contemporary religion of the age. In his book, Bananos, An Ecclesial Existence, Hansers von Balthasar rhetorically asked, if man continues to become more and more average, what will then happen to the Christian as he is trained in Christian schools to become 
a true representative of the mediocrity of our age. In other words, what will happen when institutions that were originally Christian foundations, including schools and universities, begin to be governed according to the norms of the zeitgeist? Sadly, this has already happened in many of our ostensibly Catholic institutions. But it is one of the hallmarks of Campion College that the zeitgeist, whether dressed as a cultural Marxist or a postmodern Nietzschean, is not welcome here. And if it has the audacity to appear, it is met with intellectual critique. Charitable critique, but nonetheless intellectual critique. At Campion, the zeitgeist stands judged in the light of Christ, rather than the light of Christ being snuffed out by the zeitgeist. To all of you who have received the finest Catholic tertiary education available in Australia today, my warmest congratulations. Luciat Lux Vestra. May your light shine brightly for the world. And to your parents and other benefactors, my congratulations to them for having the wisdom to send you to Campion. May God bless you all and all the best. Thank you for listening to the Campion College podcast. For more information on our courses, upcoming events, and ways you can financially support Campion College, visit campion.edu.au.